Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you that that we are able to worship you, that you have created us and placed in us hearts that that long for you, that uh, seek to glorify your name. Uh, Lord, we know that that is all of your doing, that on our own uh, we are so rebellious and so prone to, to worship ourselves, to worship other things that you have created. And uh, Lord, I just I just thank you that, that we have this opportunity, that we can study you, that we can learn who you are, uh, come to a fuller understanding of that, and, and worship you in, in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray that, that we would be able to do that, that you would uh, enliven our hearts, that you would cause us to love you more deeply. Um, and Lord, just that as we meditate on you, that our love for you would grow. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Final lesson on the attributes of God. So let's let's begin with just a little bit of review, since we've we've been through all these attributes. It obviously, hasn't been an exhaustive study, um, but uh, this, I, I'm not I'm not gonna assume you guys are gonna remember each one that we covered in the order we covered them. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that either without a piece of paper in front of me. Um, but I would like some definitions as we as we just do a quick. Uh, Overview. So we talked about the knowability of God. What, what are we talking about with that? Okay, but that's what we. That's what we. Blank stairs. <laughs> Anybody? Knowability of God? We can have a knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not so transcendent that we are unable to have any knowledge of Him. Right. He is ultimately beyond our full understanding. But that doesn't, again, like you said, that doesn't make it where we can't actually know true things about God. He He reveals himself to us. Um, God is a spirit. What is that? Not physical. Not physical. Okay, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's an immaterial being, not part of creation, right? Um, he's transcendent creator. That kind of goes with that. What, is, what does that mean? God, has, God sits outside of God exists or subsists outside of his own creation. Mm-hmm, right. And is not part of his creation. Right. Yeah. He's he's transcendent, right? He's 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 self existent. He simply is. You can't say, Well, well what about before God existed or um, who made God or uh, could God be like this instead of like that? And it's like, well, maybe we could philosophically consider like ideas about God, but God is who he is. He couldn't be otherwise, because he is just the most basic, self-existent thing um, that there is. God is eternal. It's a pretty easy one, right? No beginning, no end. No beginning, no end. And even um, we need to understand that that's not just that he's like lived for like an infinite amount of time in the past, but that he exists outside of time. Uh, the passage of time is something that he created. Uh, it's something that you know, we can't escape. We, you know, it's like our whole ex- existence is defined by the passage of time. But God is outside of that. Um, he is immutable. That's one of those big words. 
What does that mean? Doesn't change. Doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. So his his nature, his purposes, they don't change. Doesn't mean he can't act. Uh, and we talked about that. He can act in time, but who he is and his purposes it never changes. God is who he is. Um, omniscience. What is that one? Knows everything that was, is, or will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knows it all. Right? Um, omnipresent. Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. He is everywhere present. Um, omnipotence. All powerful. All powerful, right? There is nothing that is outside of his power. He he is capable of accomplishing all of his holy will. Um, the holiness of God. What is that? He is separate. He is separate, right? He is separate. And that that has the idea of transcendence and the idea of moral holiness, right? So, yeah, he is holy. Um, the righteousness and justice of God. Who are those? I mean, every, everything that God does is right, but he's also the standard for what is right. And then along with that, he, well, he, is, he is just, and his, his judgments are always right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Exactly right. Did you want to add something to that? Uh, because he is, because he is the standard, he is the only authority for justice, and mm-hmm. his justice is always, uh, always correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. Um, let's see. And then we have the love of God. What does that mean, that God is love or that God is loving? Remember, so let's try to say this. First Timothy 2 5. Well, there is one God and one mediator. And a hard one? <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult to define because there are various levels of that mm-hmm. we discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, but he loves all of his creation, generally speaking. He gives good things to both wicked people and righteous people. Um, but there's also the. Um, Redeeming love, which mm-hmm. is reserved for his elect. Mm-hmm. Um, God is love. He is. Um, he also, within that, he loves himself, not in a selfish, self-absorbed way that we think of, but mm-hmm. because he is the most. He is everything that is lovable. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he is perfect. He is righteous. He is good. Mm-hmm. Um, everything. All the qualities that we think of, like this, should make us uh, someone love that person. Mm-hmm. He is all of that, mm-hmm. and he loves himself perfectly with it. Right, right, yeah. That God would be sinning if he didn't love himself. So. Um, then we talk about the mercy and grace of God. Because God is the standard for righteousness and is a just God, and is in dealing out punishment but he is also a loving God who has granted us salvation he has to show well the only way for him to show us that love that salvific love is through grace mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're completely undeserving right we in fact deserve punishment but God withholds that punishment and he has a, a way to do that and maintain his justice we talked about that the the sacrifice of Christ enables him to accomplish that while still maintaining all of his attributes. Um, but yeah, he 
he gives us what we what we don't deserve, what we have in fact demerited. Um, and then we have the truthfulness of God and the faithfulness of God. What about those? I mean, he, we can trust everything that he says is true, mm-hmm. and so the faithfulness, every promise he has made, either has or will come true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely right. We can we can absolutely trust all of his promises because if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. With, with all these attributes, I know I mentioned this with righteousness and marksmanship with justice. He is the standard by which all these things are judged. God loves perfectly. God is completely just, God is completely righteous. It's like when we talk about human attributes, it's we do these things some of the time. Mm-hmm. Like we're loving some of the time. Right. But we're also apathetic or hateful some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, God is completely this way all the time, mm-hmm. which kind of goes along with the unchanging nature. But mm-hmm. then also he is the standard by which everyone else is judged mm-hmm. against that. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Um, and then the sovereignty of God. We're talking about there. That was the big sticky one. God not only has the power to accomplish his purposes, but he does accomplish his purposes, and he pretty much wills everything that comes to pass in either an active way mm-hmm. or maybe a slightly indirect way with right. some things. Right. But he's but he's still sovereign over those mm-hmm. things. Everything that happens is according to his will. Yes. yes. Yeah, it, um, he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. I believe is the is the, the language of the confession. So, um, and then last time we talked about God being triune. What do we mean by the fact that God is triune? Trinity, three and one. Mm-hmm. Flush that out a little. One God and three persons. One God and three persons. Right? Yeah. And all three persons are fully God. Yet, the three persons are eternally distinct from each other um, in a way that we can't really understand. But we have one God who exists in three persons, and he always has, and he always will. So that's what we've covered. Um, And, um, you know, all of these attributes... Um, they don't. They don't war against each other. They all fit together perfectly, harmoniously. Um, God is these things, um, and none of them is subordinate to the others. Um, this just describes who God is. Um, so our final attribute that we're going to talk about this morning is the glory of God. Um, and I always think this is a this is a good place to end the study of the attributes of God because uh, just thinking about all that we've learned about who God is um, it really just kind of um, magnifies God's glory Um, so that's our attribute this morning glory how do we define glory that's actually like a really hard to define word I've discovered um but it's one we use all the time, right? It's one that appears all over in the Bible. How do we define it? And 
heard the term weighty mm -hmm. used to semi-define it. Mm -hmm. I can't really elaborate too much on that too well, but it, it's basically it's the sum of what he is to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the substance of what he is maybe. I I uh, I definitely do not know any Hebrew, um, but studying this, I, um, I think it's R.C. Sproul actually pointed out that one of the uh, Old Testament Hebrew words that's that's used in reference to this is a word that means weighty. I'm not going to even try to pronounce the word. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's that's one of the concepts that's tied into the glory of God is the weightiness. The, I mean, I don't even know for sure what, what synonym to use, but it's it's the importance, the the solemnity, the you know, just the the magnitude. I don't, you know, you, you guys get what I'm saying. This is something that's that's really great. Um, so when we talk about the glory of God, that's one of the things we're talking about. Um, and you can, I mean, you can see it fits as we talk about all these different attributes. It's just amazing who God is, and it's a it's a very weighty thing. Um, but there are other words that are used. Does anybody have any other ideas for? How we might define the glory of God? I think the way it's used sometimes, like the glor glory is shining about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is actually the the other uh, Hebrew word um, that is used uh, is a word that means brightness, and so you have that concept of of brightness of splendor. Um, and you often see that when uh, when people encounter the glory of God in some way, they are going to see a visible manifestation of, of brightness. Um, Actually, there's even instances where it goes further than that. I mean, when Moses got the second set of tablets from the Lord, when he came down, he had to wear a veil mm -hmm. because he was shining mm -hmm. from being in the presence of God. Yes. Yeah, that is that is very true. The the brightness of the glory of God had in some way passed on to Moses, uh, so that he himself was reflecting the glory of God. Yeah, that is true. Um, the New Testament word uh, that is used is doxa. Um, you guys are probably familiar with that term, right? What is what does that mean? Is that? Mm -hmm. That is that is where we get doxology from, right? So I mean, what's what's the doxology? How does that begin? Praise God. Yeah, praise God, right? So it's um, the word uh, actually basically means to think well of, uh, to to have a a high or good opinion of. Um, so so those are kind of our three words, biblically speaking, is the idea of weightiness, the idea of brightness, and the idea of thinking well of. Um, and so hopefully, like, between those, we get kind of a picture of what we're talking about with the glory of God. Um, John Piper has a, has a nice definition of, of, uh, of the glory of God. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the best, but it's, it's a good one, and it's very thought-provoking. So what he says is, it's the visible splendor or moral beauty of God's manifold perfections. So, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good description of what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the glory of God. 
um, Paul, in the book of Romans, um, after he has been expounding on the plan of God and just the greatness of it and his sovereignty and salvation, uh, in Romans 11, uh, verses 33 through 36, goes into doxology, praising God, um, and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So what do we see there? What is... What is Paul's reaction? I mean, we call it doxology, and it is. And he's saying, to God be the glory forever and ever. But what, in more detail, what is he, what is he doing as he looks at what God has, has planned and accomplished through history? Any thoughts? Well, you know, he's just talking about how uh, great God is and how beyond us he is. He mm-hmm. couldn't search him or, or know him in his completeness I mean he's just just there's a there's a real um, Paul's overwhelmed with mm-hmm. who God is right yeah for sure and there at the end he says for from him and through him and to him are all things and so there he puts God at the center of it all um, you know, he's you know he's amazed at just how far above us uh, you know what he's accomplished is but it's not just that it's like, oh, well, yeah, and he's done this all for us. And in a sense, he has done it for us. But ultimately, it's from him and through him and to him. It's He is the center of all of it that he is accomplishing. Um, and so to him goes the glory, right? Now, as we look at Scripture, um, and we've, talked, we've mentioned this already, is that God's glory can be seen. You know, the example there of Moses. Um and um, the passage I have is from that section, not specifically Moses' face shining, but uh, Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17. It says that the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Uh, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And so there we see that the glory of God was manifested in, in just a, a, a great, powerful way where people could see this, this fantastic display of fire. And it was just very visible, uh, very shining, as it were. Um, Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of God. Um, definitely one of, the, one of the more interesting passages as you're trying to figure out you know, what's, uh, what he's seeing. Um, but one thing you will definitely see is just the splendor of the glory of God in what he sees. So Ezekiel chapter 1, looking at verses 26 and 28, uh, it says, And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had uh, had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, 
like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist. Uh, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. So there we see um, Ezekiel seeing the glory of God. It's not just, oh yeah, I, I saw that God was majestic, but um, it's dis- it's described in, in very graphic details of great brightness, of shining metal, of gems. Um, so God's glory is, I mean, in a sense, I mean, you know, we, we've all seen, you know, whether in person or on, you know, movies or, or you know, pictures or whatever, you know, uh, great things made of, of gold and gems and how they sparkle in the light um, that that gets us something of a picture a, a dim reflection of what we're talking about with the glory of God because it's I, as far as I know everybody when they see something like that it catches your attention it, it makes you go wow that's that's pretty amazing um, and that's just a, again a pale shadow of the idea of the glory of God. Now, one thing that's interesting when we talk about um, the glory of God is that the glory of God is actually God's um, chief purpose. Uh, again, I'm going to reference John Piper here. He uh, he did something interesting with the the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, what is the chief end of man? Right. Um, well, I don't know if any of you guys have heard this, but John Piper said, well, what if we just change the question just slightly and ask the question, what is the chief end of God? I'm guessing you've heard this by the way you're smiling. How would we answer that question? God's chief end is to glorify himself and enjoy forever. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it really is appropriate to say that yeah, God's chief end is to glorify Himself and enjoy Himself forever. Um, and as we talked about when, when we were talking about love, that's not inappropriate for God, right? He is the greatest being, the most worthy of praise, the most worthy of worship. And uh, if God valued something other than Himself, other than His own glory, um, you know, above that then God would be committing idolatry. Um, God, you know, he recognizes that he is who he is, and um, he glorifies himself. That is his, that is his goal in what he does. Um, and we see that repeatedly um, in Scripture. Um, Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, um, this is when we have the, the uh, children of Israel in Egypt and God is bringing plagues upon uh, the Egyptians. Um, God says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So, what was, what was God's purpose in causing Pharaoh, I mean, you know, God could have just, you know, prompted Pharaoh to just let the people of Israel go without going through all the plagues. Um, 
I mean, obviously Pharaoh was hardy in his own heart, but God is sovereign. He could have he could have made it where Pharaoh was favorable to the people of Israel and just let them go. Uh, but he didn't. And why didn't he? What was his purpose? He didn't want Pharaoh to receive the credit for his own what God he himself was doing. Mm-hmm. God was if Pharaoh just let him go at the beginning then just it's like Pharaoh's benefits. Mm-hmm. But no, he uh, brings all the place. Mm-hmm. He displays his glory with all those different things, his power mm-hmm. over each one of these things that the Egyptians have worshipped or feared or something mm-hmm. like that. And then he finally allowed He is displaying his own glory. He is showing his greatness over Egypt, at least one of the most powerful nations in the world that day, um, and all of the false gods of Egypt. He is just displaying his superiority over all of them. Um, He brought ruin on Egypt for the purpose of uh, displaying his own glory. Uh, Psalm 106, uh, verses 6 through 8, says, Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might... Uh, make known his mighty power. And so there we see, even as they're leaving Egypt and they're going through the Red Sea, uh, you know, God probably could have just directed them to go a different way where they didn't get stuck next to the Red Sea. But then they got stuck next to the Red Sea and here comes Pharaoh's army. And so now God gets the opportunity to really display his power. It's like, well, just split the Red Sea wide open and let you guys walk through. Um, Again, I mean, you know, if God's goal was just to get the people of Israel to safety, he could have chosen an easier way. But God um, has purposes in all he does in history to show how great he is. Because that's his concern, is to show his glory. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, uh, he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise... I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. (coughs) So again, we see God proclaiming that this is the purpose for what he's doing things. He's doing it for his own namesake. Um, not ultimately for us. I mean, yes, God loves us. Yes, God does things for our benefit. But his ultimate, his chief end, is to glorify himself. And that ultimately is why he saves us, is for his own glory, so that all of creation can see how great he is in saving so undeserving a people as us. Um, Ezekiel... 36, 22-23 Therefore say to the house of Israel Thus says the Lord God It is not for your sake O house of Israel that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name 
which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So we see the same theme again, right? God is um, not doing it for the sake of the the people of Israel, but for the sake of his own name. Um, But he's using them, and he's doing good through them, um, doing good to them, so that his name would be glorified for all that he accomplishes. So again, it's just it's something that that pops up over and over again in Scripture. Is God proclaiming that it's it's not ultimately for the sake of us that He's doing these things, but it's for His own glory. Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter one, verses nine through ten. Here it says, um, starting in verse 9, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. So what do we see there? Uh, Paul is bringing in the idea of uh, the glory of God, and he's talking about uh, the day of judgment. How is he applying uh, this idea of the glory of God here? Any thoughts? He's glorified for his justice and grace. Mm-hmm. He is justified for his justice and his grace. Yeah. Um, says that he's coming uh, to be glorified in his saints. Right? So, um, it is, it is through his his salvation of people that he is being glorified. Um, and it follows, it's followed up there with, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Um, I mean, what does that mean, to be marveled at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's that is the that is the idea. It's, you're 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 just like wow, um, and I mean again, that's just kind of just a little bit of a picture of you know this elusive word glory that we're marveling at God for what He has accomplished. Um, even in I mean the 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 destruction of the wicked is you know comes up here. Um, and has been pointed out, you know, God is glorified in His justice, in His justly punishing sin. Um, and one thing that I, I think a lot of times we don't necessarily think about um, is that God's punishment of sin just really should um, make us think more, uh, more highly of God's grace and mercy towards us. Because if if God, in His purposes, chose to save everyone, which He, I mean, he could have done that, 
Um, you know, I mean, that would be amazing. But in a sense, if if there is a display of God's wrath against sin, and that there are people who ultimately are no different from us, who are punished for their sin, and God has shown mercy to us, um, that should make us marvel more at God's grace to us, because it's like, well, I, I deserved exactly the same thing that those people get, but God has shown mercy to me. And that is that is something that should cause us to marvel and um, and just give all glory to God. Um, Paul also, in 1 Corinthians, um, talks specifically about um, our individual salvation and kind of what's going on behind it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to, to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what's the... What's the thrust of what Paul is saying here? It's that every good thing that we experience through our faith comes from the Lord. And it's, we boast in anything, boast in the Lord, because we can't do it on our own. Right, right. And even like what you just said, you know, we don't deserve this, you know, which would cause us to boast even more because we we at least have an inkling of our unworthiness before God mm-hmm. and so it's only because of his goodness right one thing that I think is is interesting is that it, it talks about God choosing people and choosing more of a certain type of people than of another type of people what's what's going on here with that who's he choosing well, well, he's choosing those that we would not think would, uh, I, those that are lowly, <laughs> those that are despised, those that in human, in a human view, we would set aside, we would consider, consider even less significant. <laughs> and, you know, but those that, you know, we would praise and we think, I want to be like them. <laughs> God says, I've, I've not chosen them because he, there again, it, it's like what, we said with Pharaoh, you know, he wanted to show that this is what God is doing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so then, then he receives the glory because it's sort of backwards thinking from the way that we would think as human beings. Exactly. It's, it's basically like in First uh, Samuel, right now. But basically, when uh, he chooses David from among all his brothers, mm-hmm. yeah. looks at the first one, Samuel is like, "This has got to be the next king of Israel. Right. He's great." Um, and so on down the line. Mm-hmm. David's the last one he would choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, 
God could have, and you know, if we if we look at it like strictly theologically, and you know, the the sinfulness of every member of the human race, you know, we could just say, oh yeah, well, God could God could choose, you know, the the wise, the strong, the powerful, the noble. He could choose all of those, and they're completely undeserving of His grace, and so it's magnificent His grace in saving those people. Um, but if you look at it from a human perspective, it's like if you would just like say, oh well, who would who would God find acceptable? It's like, oh well, obviously he's gonna he's gonna be picking the greatest people, the wisest people, the you know the most noble people, um, and God just like goes out of his way to elect people. Um, I mean, not not that he never chooses anybody that's that's in that category of people, but the bulk of the people that he chooses um, are from the class of people that everybody would say, well, surely those guys don't have any credit to themselves. And, you know, you might look at, you know, some wise, noble person and say, oh, well, yeah, God chose him because he was just so great. From our perspective, we might look at it that way. But God, just wanting to show, just to make it absolutely clear that he's the one that's accomplishing salvation, um, that these people don't deserve it at all. He chooses basically the dregs of society um, more often than not um, to show his great glory. And it is for the purpose that we might not boast in anything except in God. That he gets all the glory. Kind of like the camel through the needle. What's that? Kind of like the camel through the eye of the needle. Okay. Yeah. 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 If it's that hard. You know, it's like, I got a needle, I got a camel, it's not going to work. Um, the only way it works um, is with the power of God. And it's like, and that's, I mean, that's a great example, because the disciples got it. They're like, well, if that's how hard it is, who can be saved? And, you know, and Jesus says, well, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I, I see, with this passage in particular, it shows... It, there's a great parallel to Christ's life and ministry. Mm-hmm. He was born in what would be considered the dregs of society. He was born and shown to the lowest members of society. Uh, his ministry, he was not seeking out the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He was seeking out the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And those, I mean, this passage is a direct correlation to Christ's birth and ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it even ties back in a way because in this passage it's talking about the foolishness of the cross of, of Christ mm-hmm. and when you think about it it's like well how how is the uh, the sovereign ruler of all the universe going to conquer his enemies and accomplish his work it's like through some guy getting executed it's like what that doesn't seem to make sense um, but God displays his great power and glory by something that the world views as weak um but even God's strength or God's weakness is is greater than the strength of man. Um, so yeah, God just glorifies Himself through that. Kind of an example of that, though, just looking at the disciples back when Bart was talking about, he picked fishermen, he picked mm-hmm. a tax collector, he picked a bunch of people that weren't anything, and actually the only apostle who was like very well educated, I think, really was was Paul, 
who was someone who persecuted the church, mm -hmm. and his education didn't do him any good right. when it came to that. Right. It's only when his heart had been changed mm -hmm. that he was able to use that for the glory of God. Right, right. Yeah, it's God just—he just has a history of just showing off how great he is in saving people by just like all of these examples we see. So, what should our response be? Um, talked a little bit about you know what the glory of God is. How that central that is uh, to God's purposes. How should we respond when we think about the glory of God? Well, I, obviously worship. Mm -hmm. You know that's that's uh, very evident. But I, I also I was just sitting there thinking as you were talking mm -hmm. about how even today we struggle to to really want to think more of ourselves than we want other people to think really more of us as if somehow that makes us more worthy to be used of God in however way he's going to use us right. and and yet we're just reading about it's the opposite I mean we can just relax we can just be you know in all of our struggles and in all of our weakness and in all of our dependence upon him uh, we can just rejoice and to know if he chooses to use us and all of our frailty and all he could do that mm -hmm. and uh, so th there's a sense of which we can just relax and, and, and be ourselves mm -hmm. and just give thanks to him that in his grace he would use those such as us who are lowly and so yeah 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 that was a good point it takes a lot of pressure off yeah yeah it does um, and I, and I obviously I know you're not suggesting this but just to just to put the the boundary there that doesn't yeah. mean we just sit back and don't do anything yes yes <coughs> but we we work without the anxiety, without the self-importance, knowing that it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm weak, I'm, I lack so much, uh, but I'm going to do what I can and see what God chooses to do through me and, you know, not worry about the fact that I'm, you know, pretty inadequate in myself. Yeah, and, and especially in light of the fact that other Christians aren't always as gracious as God is. That's true. You know, and so they do sort of expect us mm -hmm. to be of a certain caliber or to do things a certain way. Right. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we can resist that temptation, even of our brothers and sisters that we love very much that may create life to be sort of difficult for us. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. That's a good point. Any other thoughts? I think it's difficult to ask the question, what should we do when talking about reacting to the glory of God? I think mm -hmm. it's just a reaction. I'm sorry, it's, that, it's just a reaction. There's not, it's not a should. It, uh -huh. You just you right. do when you realize what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that is, that is true. I mean, I mean, there is, to some degree, activeness to it. But it is... In a sense, compulsory. You know, yeah. it's like for for those that God has called, it's like we're going to we're going to worship. We're going to seek to glorify God. Um, that was actually one of the things I was wondering if somebody would suggest. We, if God is is glorious, we should seek to glorify God. Um, and our attitude towards it shouldn't be flippant or nonchalant. That is true. We should approach our worship with fear and trembling. I mean, how many examples of the angels coming down, so the angels have been in the presence of God, and the immediate first reaction is fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's 
that glory that they've been around that we I mean it's something to be feared so we, we should come to our worship and we're coming to the presence of God to worship we need to approach it with fear and trembling yeah yes that is definitely a good point you think of Isaiah when he saw the glory of God like he was like woe to me I am undone yes right? yeah that is it's definitely the attitude we should have so how do we glorify God? I mean, what does that mean to glorify God? Isn't God already perfectly glorious? Yeah, we don't add anything to Him. You know, not in any stretch of the imagination. You know, but uh, but but we do acknowledge who He is and live accordingly. You know, I mean, just even like all the discussion with. You know, you hear so much in the church today about how we need more mystery in worship and more uh, the weightiness of who God is and people leaving, you know, evangelical churches to go to more liturgical churches because they think that somehow they're going to find that that weightiness. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a sense of shame on us, uh, especially as Reformed evangelicals, you know, that we don't uh, always uh, worship and live you know, in a way that reflects that the character of God and, and truly who He is and all of His His greatness right. and stuff. So, yeah. Can't find it right now, but there's the psalm that says, "Ascribe to the Lord uh, the glory to His name." I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you you were saying. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's yeah. One 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 that I had was Psalm 115, verse one. Yeah. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, and that right there is the appropriate response. Um, sometimes we talk about magnifying the glory of God, um, and I, I don't remember for sure. This might have been John Piper that um, that I heard this illustration from. I'm not sure, but. I know I've, I've, I've come across this and I thought it was helpful. When we talk about magnifying the glory of God, um, there's, there's two major things that we have in this world, in the world of technology, that magnify things. We have a microscope and we have a telescope. Um, and they magnify things, but in different ways. So a microscope looks at something that's really small and blows it up so that we can get a, a better view of what it is. Uh, but a telescope takes something that is absolutely massive, but that's far away from us, and brings it in to where we can have a clearer view of how massive, how great it is. And um, the idea of that illustration is, just, is to say that when we're magnifying the glory of God, it's sort of like a telescope. We're taking something that is great, that maybe just isn't recognized as great. And we are basically just bringing it into view um, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak. Uh, that should be our goal because people people don't understand or appreciate the glory of God. They don't view God as great as they should. Um, and so we as Christians should be doing things in order to show the world how great God is. Um, it's very much the, the idea of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 
verse 16, he says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's that idea that our good works should be magnifying the glory of God. Uh, not just like, oh, we're really good people. We've really, like, <coughs> you know, disciplined ourselves and do good things. But it's the work of God in us. That's the thing. And so, again, it's giving credit to God uh, for um, whatever good things we do. The only way we can glorify God is by how he tells us he wants to be glorified. Right. That's the only way. I mean, it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to read what he's prescribed in the scripture for us. You know, anytime you add anything, whether it's in your life or anything in worship, anything you do, if it's not in scripture and you're adding it in there, then you're going outside of what God has already told you in scripture, how he wants to be glorified. Mm Mm-hmm. So anytime, you know, especially today, they, they try to look at bringing in the people out of the world so they add a little bit of what mm-hmm. they have to bring it in to make them happy to come in. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is they're not looking at how God wants to be glorified. And mm-hmm. They're adding something from the world that's mm-hmm. contrary to what... It's almost like boasting in, well, we added this and we got more people coming in. So they're boasting over... Here in a something that isn't doesn't have anything to do with God. It's almost like boasting in something totally different mm-hmm. than boasting in the Lord for what they did. And if we didn't add this, we wouldn't have more people. So, we, yeah, yeah, it's part of how God glorifies Himself is by prescribing the way He is to be glorified. Mm-hmm. He, he knows Himself best. No one else knows him like He knows Himself. Right. Yeah. And I think it was when we were discussing the holiness of God. We talked about, like, Nadab and Abihu, for example, who decided they were going to worship God their own way. And it didn't, didn't turn out well for them. So, yeah, that is a good point. Um, and we do glorify God in our corporate worship, but it's not just there. It's everywhere in all of our lives. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, So... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we should be seeking a way in all that we do, in our in our work, in just our, our day-to-day lives. Um, all of those things that we do should be done to the glory of God. And then 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, As each has received a gift... Used to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so there Peter is saying, you're teaching, this should be... So the glory of God. You're speaking the oracles of God. If you're, um, if you're, you're serving, you're not just doing it in your own strength. You're relying on the strength of God. And the reason you're doing these things this way is so that God is glorified in all that you do. And it also, I mean, beginning of verse ten, as each has received a gift, use it to serve another. Is 
we're commanded to use the gifts God has given specifically to glorify Him. And within that secondarily, how we do that partially is is by serving others here on earth. I mean, two big commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Um, and, you know, going back to 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's within the context of not causing your brother to stumble and, and, and things like that. It's, it's loving what, sac- sacrificing your desires for the sake of your brother to a certain extent. And um, within that, it, it's dying to self serving others mm-hmm. all for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, well, we've already had some personal application, but is anything else? Is there any, other than what we've already mentioned, is there any anything we can think of for how this should affect our lives, the way we live, the way we worship? Probably touched on just about everything, haven't we? Prayer. Prayer? With prayer, I'm I'm encouraged through the verse of I think it's Romans in Romans eight of the Holy Spirit interceding for us in our prayers. When we fail, where we fall, God is interceding for us. So yeah, because even in our prayers we are insu- we our prayers are weak and insufficient. We don't even know how to ask God for the things we need. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. As he's saying it, it's it's just another way that God glorifies Himself. Mm-hmm. Like even when we want to ask things for God to glorify Him that way, we can't do that right. So God does it for us. Right. Yeah, yeah. It it really should cause us to just realize just how weak and helpless we are. And any good that happens, all glory goes to God. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, truly you are worthy of all praise and honor. And uh, God, we just we thank you that uh, you use us, that you glorify yourself through us. And Lord, I just pray that we would just seek to magnify you above all things that we would realize just uh, how weak and helpless we are um, and God that we would just uh, just think about who you are that we would consider all of your attributes and that we would uh, just marvel at you that we would be in awe of you uh, and Lord that that would shape the way that we live our lives uh, that our love would grow that our obedience would grow and um Lord, truly, that um, your name would be praised uh, through what you do in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.